Let me take a moment and pray for us as we get ready to listen to what God has to say to us today through his word. Lord, it would be a real tragedy this morning if, um, if people heard me, not you. It would be a tragedy this morning if all we heard is the noise of our own hearts which so often condemn us and speak to us things that are only half true. It would be a tragedy this morning if we heard your voice through the word and decided that somehow it didn't apply to us, either because we're so good we don't need it or we're so hopelessly lost that none of it could be for someone like us. Father, send your Holy Spirit to help us to see you aright and to see ourselves as we truly are in the light of your love. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're um, thinking for a few weeks from the Psalms about what it means to have an emotional life that is healthy. And um, today we're going we're to be thinking especially about a gap that all of us experience in this world. It's a gap between joy and pain, Be- between the pain we experience in life and the joy that we desire in life. There's a big gap. There are a couple of ways we could respond to that. Um, one is foolishness. One is to see this gap and, and to say, you know what? Pride starts to set in. I can fill the gap. I can close it. I've got this. Um, and then there's a response of wisdom. And as we read from Psalm 90 in a few minutes, you'll, you'll hear Donna come across this verse is verse 12 of Psalm 90. It's a plea. God, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You hear the humility there? Lord, I don't have this figured out. Teach me. The honesty that says, whatever you're showing me about this gap between who you are and who I am, that's what it means to number our days, is to be honest about that gap. I want to respond to it with a heart of wisdom. That means being honest in every way, including with our emotions. Um, You're going to hear that kind of humility and honesty as you listen to um, some of the responses of some of our IDX students to questions about their emotions. Let's listen. Helps if I turn it on first. <laughs> Definitely a lot of prayer and a lot of just, you know, kind of trying to calm yourself down. Um, and so just knowing healthy ways to express emotions, I think, is a very important skill. 
I try to put words onto my emotions and try to separate them individually and figure out why I'm feeling the way about each one and then try and figure out like where I can go from there to not feel that way or to fix the situation. If you understand how you're affecting others, you can then walk backwards and then understand um, really why you're feeling that way. There's always that voice in the back of my head that's telling me that I should be doing something or that I shouldn't be doing something. But sometimes it's a little hard to listen to that because it's not always what we want to do. At first, they definitely play a big role and then I kind of have to rein it back in um, and just think like, is how I'm feeling irrational or is this a rational feeling? Um, and does this align with what the Lord tells us? Um, someone tells me to do something in my heart or in my mind, I'm just like, I don't want to do that. Like, if like he told me to take my hat off, I don't really want to take my hat off, like in my heart, but like if he actually really wanted me to, I'll take my hat off. But like when I'm mad, I probably, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because I want to be nice. But if I'm happy, I'm thinking, all right, I'll do it, take my hat off. If I'm thinking clearly, if I'm not overwhelmed by anything, I am more easily able to say, oh no, I can go do this. I'm more open to things. Like I'm less in my head about stuff. Anger and, you know, frustration and jealousy and emotions like that will definitely, you know, cloud your judgment and make you not able to see clearly. If you're upset with one of your siblings or just not having a very good day and you're told to do something that you don't necessarily want to do, um, then you might not do it with a good attitude and without a happy heart. If I'm upset or angry, oftentimes I'll find what is upsetting me, what is angry, and the little things that I wouldn't see if I were, let's say, extremely happy. I would probably not want to hear what they're saying and be less inclined to listen to their opinion just because I would be so caught up in uh, my way of thinking that I don't want to accept uh, what they have to say. They're not me, so they don't really know what I should feel. But if they're like trying to help me, then maybe I could want to talk to them more, uh, trying to understand what they're saying. Usually I try to ask them, like, why do you say that? Or why shouldn't I feel that way? Because I want kind of like selfish validation of why I'm feeling what I am. If somebody uh, like made me, told me that I could not feel a certain way, I would feel kind of confused because um, my feelings um, are out of their control. I think that it's okay to feel things, um, regardless of if other people think that you should be feeling that or not. It's just your actions that actually determine whether it's good or bad. Today's scripture reading is selections from Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight or but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. 
The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Psalm 90 turned into a bar graph. Thanks to Luke Brodine for um, his assistance in making this less boring than my version was. Like numbering our days. Just doing the math, right? The psalm says um, all our days pass away. The years of our life are 70. 70 times 365 plus 17 leap years is 25,567 days. We're numbering our days, right? The psalm then says, wait, make by reason of strength, you know, if, if you're strong enough, you can make it 80 years. Well, 80 times 365 plus 20 uh, leap days thrown in, 29,220. And then the psalm says there's a gap between us and God. And God, you know, it's um, verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday. A thousand years is 365,250 days. Um, what do you think? All of that is true, right? All of the numbers are right. It is true that the last number is way bigger than the first two. But a bar graph just doesn't have a whole lot of emotional impact. Now, to those of you who love mathematics and love bar, bar graphs, I probably just insulted you, and I apologize. <laughs> However, um, I'm going to quote an authority on this, Ava Cooper, whom you just heard say, it's okay to feel things. And I'm not sure we all feel the right things when we see the bar graph. It's okay to feel things. So God didn't give us a, a book of bar graphs and mathematical tables, right? He gave us songs. He gave us poems that were set to music. The Psalms are these beautiful poems of truth about who God is and what life is like and what it's like to be a human in this world. And they're meant to make us feel things. That's why they're set to music. That's, that's why they are poetry, not just uh, technical prose. It's why there's no mathematical formulas in Psalm 90, even though there are a lot of numbers in the psalm. Uh, it's okay to feel things. 
um, what are the songs about? Today we're going to see how Psalm 90 is a song about naming the gap between joy and pain. Uh, we'll also see that it's a song about responding with wisdom. We've already mentioned that verse 12, teach us to number our days in such a way that we may get a heart of wisdom. Whatever it means to name this gap between joy and pain, the way this psalm does, the way we respond to it makes a difference. And then we'll see that ultimately the song is about going home. How do we know that? It's, how the, very, it's, it's the first verse of the song. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Dwelling place. The safe place, the secure place. It's a word that can be used to refer to like the, the den or the hole that a wild animal runs to. It's where they live. It's where they can sleep and rest well at night. It's also where they flee when they're being pursued. Lord, help us learn from this song about going home. Let's start with naming the gap. Um, there is a gap between joy and pain in this world. Uh, we're going to describe it a few ways that this psalm does. The first is it's a gap between what we desire and what we experience. What is it that we desire? Uh, listen to the words that this psalm uses to describe our deepest longings and desires as human beings. And listen to how emotionally loaded each one of these terms is. We, we jump into Psalm uh, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning. We desire to be satisfied. We desire satisfaction. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice. We long for joy and be glad all our days. No matter how many, how many uh, times we do the math, we want all of our days to be filled with gladness and joy and satisfaction. The very end of the psalm hints at something else that we really long for. We long for a sense of meaning and significance and impact. Like, like the things I do in this world really matter. They make a difference. That's why there's this prayer in verse 17. Establish the work of our hands upon us. How important is this? It's so important we're going to say it again. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's what we want. We, we, we want joy and satisfaction all of our days. We want to know that our existence here on this planet made a difference, that the things we spend our time doing matter? What do we actually experience? There's a gap between what we desire and what we actually experience in this world. Verse 10 says we experience toil and trouble. Whether you live 70 years or 80, the span of your life, the psalmist writes, is toil and trouble. Our days are soon gone. Our days, verse 9 says, pass away. Our years come to an end with a triumphant exclamation point. No, 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 no. Listen to the song. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Is this all there is? Is that all I could get done in 70 or 80 years? There's a gap between what we long for and what we actually 
experience. Verse 15 is a prayer. God, make us glad. There's what we long for. For as many days as you have afflicted us. As many years as we have seen evil. There's a big gap between what we long for and what we experience in this world. There's a gap between what we ought to be and what we actually are as well. Hmm. There's a gap between what I expect uh, the clicker to do and what it actually does. You remember that thing we were saying about futility and sighing? <laughs> yeah, that's what life in this world is like. There's a gap between who we ought to be and, and who we actually turn out to be. Let's just camp on one word to see that for a moment. It's the word in verse 8, iniquities. You have set our iniquities before you. Now, we need to camp on that word for a minute. First of all, because you know exactly what it's about. Secondly, because you never use it. Right, And we use it so infrequently that we're like, what does that word even mean? That's a religious, that's a churchy word, isn't it? And when we use it in church, what do we mean by it? I don't know. We never use it, so I don't know what it means. And yet you know exactly what iniquities are. Iniquity is a, is a word that, that's meant to, to strike you in a very deep place emotionally. Like, that is so evil. Um, I went to a soccer camp when I was 10, and did you ever have this happen to you? Uh, some, some kids there who, who were like, we, we want to be friends all week long, and so we're having a party in our room tonight, and will you come? And at the party, like good friends ought to, they start giving out candy. You know, hey, we went down to the store and bought this for you today. We'd love for everybody to have some of these Hershey bars into which we have scooped out little parts and melted X-lax laxative pills right? That's twisted, y'all. It's twisted to use an invitation of friendship to make someone physically ill. That's what the word iniquity means. Iniquity is a twisting. It's a distortion. It isn't just I did something wrong. It's I took something that was meant to be good and beautiful, and I twisted it into something harmful and evil and ugly, right? I took this license I got as a builder and I twisted it into the opportunity to take a shortcut so that when a, an earthquake hits, the entire structure collapses. And it was, if I had done it right, according to the way I said I was going to do it, the building would have stood. Iniquity is that part of being human that takes things that are meant to be good and twist them into something evil, something harmful, something wicked. It's moral distortion. It's, it's the tendency that we all have to twist what is right so that it works out to our advantage. It's the tendency we, we all have to bend good things toward evil purposes. There is a gap between what you want to be and what you actually are. We all want to be the kind of people who aren't twisted and whom there is no distortion. There is nothing to hide. But we're all, we're all guilty of iniquity, even if we don't use that word to describe it. The psalm is painting for us this 
this picture of a, a great gap between joy and pain. One of the reasons we experience pain in this world is because we twist things and other people twist things. And where all this leads us is a great gap between God and us. Verse 17 is a prayer. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. That word's hard to translate. Favor just isn't strong enough. This is a word that means delightfulness, pleasantness, over-the-top kindness. That's what we want to experience. We, we want the person who matters most in our life and in our world. And, and listen, if you're an atheist, you don't think that's God. But there's someone who matters most in, to you. There's someone whose opinion of you matters most in this world. And you want that person, your experience of that relationship with that person, to be one of absolute delightfulness. That you experience how pleasant they can be toward you. You experience their kindness beyond measure. And yet the psalm says, Now, what do we experience because of our twistedness? God's wrath and anger. You might say, I, I don't like this idea of a God who would be angry, a God who would uh, demonstrate wrath toward the twistedness, the moral distortion uh, in people like me. Um, Ava's right. It's, it's okay to feel stuff. It's, it, it's, it's good to be honest and say, I don't, I don't feel like I like that idea. Um, when you recognize that we're disagreeing with Jesus, if we try to exclude the category of God's anger toward the moral distortion of humanity, um, this is something Jesus taught about a lot. Psalm 90 is from the Bible that Jesus loved and read and knew. Um, so it's okay if we feel like we don't like it, but, but we got to, especially if we're followers of Jesus, we got to come back in line with, hmm, the way I feel about this, Caroline Garcia mentioned it, right? Is this in line with what the Lord wants me to feel? Um, and all of us know that some distortions demand an angry response. Right, you, you feel that on a daily basis. You do the wrong thing and, and anger is the right response. We're applying that principle that we all know every day on, on a cosmic scale. There's a gap between us and God. There's a gap between who he designed us to be and who we actually are. If you don't think he designed you, you still know the gap. It's the gap between who you want to be and who you actually are. It's the gap between the joy we long for and the pain we experience in this world. How are we going to respond to it? Well, verse 12, teach us, Lord, we want a heart of wisdom. Hmm. How can emotions be a part of having a heart of wisdom? There are three ways that our emotions can respond to this gap. They aren't all equally helpful, but they can become helpful. Let's unpack it a bit. The first one is they focus our attention. Our emotions, 
We said this last week, our reactions to what is happening to things that we love. So I love joy. (laughs) I love satisfaction. I love gladness for all my days. I love the idea that the person in this universe who is most important doesn't respond to me with anger, but with their favor so that I experience how delightful they can be toward me. Those are the things I love. And our emotions are saying, when you feel this gap between joy and pain, the gap between you and God, the gap between who you want to be and who you actually are, that's, that's your emotions way of saying, hey, I want to get your attention. This gap thing is really important. Don't get distracted. Don't let something shiny downplay the importance of that tension that you're feeling. Emotions can help us with this gap by focusing our attention. Um, Our emotions can take us to a place of dishonesty. This is the second way that our emotions can respond to the gap. Hmm, I see the gap between joy and pain, so you know what I will do? I will fill it up. I want real joy. I can't get as much of it as I want in this world, so I will. What if I use some counterfeit joys to put a mask over pain that's too deep to cover. Like if I'm honest with myself, I know that the ways I want to fill the gap aren't real joy, and I know that the pain is too deep for a mask to cover it, but sometimes our emotions are dishonest with us, and they say, hey, you know what would feel great right now? You're feeling very empty. What would feel great right now is to fill that gap between joy and pain, that emptiness, fill it with some chemicals. It doesn't matter through prescription or if they're illegal or if they're things you drink or pills you take, but just fill it. It's not real joy, but go ahead and fill it up with some chemicals. How about with something else? How about with a career? You get in trouble if you use chemicals the wrong way in our world. You rarely get in trouble in our world if you use your career the wrong way. You kind of get celebrated for it. So feeling empty inside, that feeling is true. There is really a gap between joy and pain. But if you feel like filling it up with workaholism, achievement, that'll, that'll satisfy it, right? No, that's emotionally dishonest. I won't. What if I fill it with lust? I mean, I will that do it? How about if I fill it with likes? What if I get like such a rush out of being liked well enough on social media, popular enough, having enough views? Will that do it? All right. Confession. Two of my favorite songs ever are on the soundtrack to this movie. Uh, You're going to hear more about this next week because we're going to talk about emotions and repentance. And it's one of the greatest illustrations of repentance in a story I've seen in a long, long time. Do you know the song from now on at the end of this song uh, movie? As the main character begins to sing, I saw the sun begin to dim, 
felt that winter wind blow cold. Man learns who is there for him when the glitter fades. Very cruel not to finish the verse, I know. But we got to stop right there because that's, that's, that's the point. The glitter fades. This is a story about a man who is distracted, trying to fill up the gap between the joy he longs for and the pain and disappointment that he's experiencing. Life has dealt him a raw hand, and so he's going to fill the gap with glitter. I want my name up in lights. And if showing the world who I am starts to conflict with my family responsibilities, I will leave my family behind. They are nothing but a drag on me. And I will go out and find the exciting new romance. It's all glitter. And by the end of the story, he says the glitter has faded. Emotional dishonesty is when we say these counterfeit joys, these little bits of glitter can fill that deep longing I have. A wise response starts to focus on something different. I want to go home. I want more joy than this world with this gap can ever give. Life in this world is always going to leave me with that gap between the joy I'm longing for and the pain I'm actually experiencing. And that means I want to go home to a world where that gap is gone. In my real home, there is a world where joy is perfected and pain is not present. That's the home I'm longing for, your emotions. They can help us by focusing our attention. Uh, they can point out the gap and then kind of lead us to this dishonest place. of trying to fill the gap with things that aren't really joy and to cover pain that can't really be covered. Or our emotions can point us to our real home. A home where all your moral twistedness and mine is straightened out and it won't come back ever again. A home where every person who has a right to be angry with me instead freely gives me the thing I don't deserve, their favor, their kindness. A home where the person who matters most, the person who created me and you and everything, who has every right to be angry with our twistedness, instead says, I want you to experience how delightful I can be toward you. Your emotions are always telling you that's the home you're longing for. Sometimes they tell you that by saying... Hmm, get distracted by a shiny thing. Maybe you'll forget about that deep longing for home for a while. And sometimes your emotions are saying, yeah, this is a foretaste of home. This is what you're really wanting. If you listen to the rest of From Now On, you hear this one line repeated over and over and over and over and over again, and the repetition doesn't make it less meaningful. 
it makes me want it more and more. And we will come back home. And we will come back home. And we will come back home. Home again. That's not enough. Keep singing it. And we will come back home. And we will come back home. Is there anyone who can take us home again? From this world where we feel the gap between joy and pain. Psalm 89 showed us last week, Israel had thought that David would be the one to bring them home. That The, the kings who came in the line of David, maybe they'll close the gap. And it turned out that that was not the case. If you look at Psalm 90, the way it's printed in most Bibles, it has a heading over it, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Maybe Moses can take us back home. What if we go back before David and all the pain and disappointment of the, the exile to Babylon, Babylon because the Davidic kings have been so faithless? What if we go back before all that pain, back to the days of Moses? Will that close the gap? Well, it turns out Moses was just a man like us. The years of his life were 70 or by reason of strength, 80. His years were brought to an end like a sigh. The whole of the Bible is saying to us, we need someone who can close this gap. And the story is constantly leading, leading us on to Jesus. Jesus is the one who at the cross suffered the pain that you and I experience every day. At the cross, he endured God's wrath. He felt the gap between him and God. He felt what it was like to, to be treated like someone who is morally twisted, even though he wasn't. And at his resurrection, he entered into the joy, the satisfaction, the gladness that you're longing for, and I am too. He's the only one who can bring us home. He's the only one who's already living in the world that you and I were made for. One day he'll come back. He'll bring that world with him. And the gap between this world and that will be closed. And the gap between pain and joy will be gone forever. Are you trusting Jesus to do that for you? If you've been rejecting Jesus because you thought that he was just kind of this floaty spiritual dude who lived in Sunday school classes and he wasn't for you anymore now that you're an adult or now that you're a teenager or now that you're 10 or 8 and you've gotten too sophisticated for that, good. Keep rejecting anything like that. Jesus isn't like that. Are you looking for someone who has lived that gap and closed it and invites you to experience that through him? Jesus can bring you home.